Your Fallow community, we're back. And uh, we're on the cusp of July here. I mean, it's been nice to see some of the restrictions being lifted around where I am, at least, hopefully where you are too. Just feels great to be out and about and uh, seeing people and eating at restaurants and that kind of thing. Anyway, hopefully your church is getting back to something normal, maybe in the near future or maybe not in the near future. But uh, hopefully you've settled on a few new normal things enough so that you can enjoy some of the summertime months. You know, maybe no VBS this year. Well, that'd be nice or not nice, depending on your perspective, I suppose. Anyway, if you're new to our podcast and you're wondering what it's all about, our goal is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. And we do that through a variety of ways, the podcast being one of them, uh, but the Philo Conference, Philo Coaching, our Philo Resources, Philo Staffing, yeah, just a bunch of different ways that we try to help you become more effective. On this particular episode of the Philo Podcast, we got to sit down with one of our main session speakers from Philo 2020 Chicago, which was online, if you didn't know that, like most everything else these days. Anyway, I got to sit down with Liz Bohannon. She's the co-founder of Seiko Designs, which she'll talk about in our conversation. But it was pretty cool uh, what they're doing for women in Uganda and the United States And the way we found out about her was through her book, Beginner's Pluck, where she outlines just kind of her life principles as she went about starting her business. And I felt like they really could apply to us as technical artists in the local church. I mean, she's doing fashion work, which I don't do that. Uh, I don't make cool uh, purses and stuff. But that's beside the point. The things that she's learned are things that I think we can learn from also. So that's why we asked her to speak at Philo. And that's why uh, I wanted to sit down with her for this podcast. So Let's jump into the conversation. Yeah, so I thought it would be great for us to just get to know you a little bit and then also talk about some of the concepts from your book, Beginner's Pluck. Uh, Just before we do that, just tell us what you're doing now and then we'll go from there. Great. Yeah. So short little overview, because I know a lot of your people have heard the Seiko story, but my name is Liz. I run a socially conscious fashion brand called Seiko Designs and started that company a little over 10 years ago, actually. I moved to East Africa to kind of show up and make friends and build community and learn more firsthand about the issues that women and girls in developing economies are facing. And out of that, Seiko was born. And so what we do is we partner with a really cool youth development organization that works with really academically gifted female scholars. And they go through a two-year, basically college prep program. So it's it's two advanced years of high school. And there's a nine-month gap in Uganda in between high school and university. And this gap represents a pretty large challenge specifically for female students because mm-hmm. what happens during this nine-month gap is these women, they go back home to their villages. They have they don't have a ton of social support. There's a lot of pressure for them to get married and to start having kids. And they also, most of them don't have access to economic opportunity. So during that nine months, when ideally they're working and saving up for college, that's really difficult. And so Seiko was born out of a way to simply just kind of bridge that nine-month gap. So instead of going back home, to their villages and kind of facing that pressure and struggling to find jobs. Right after they graduate from high school, they start their first job at Seiko Designs in Uganda in the city. And mm-hmm. for nine months, we're with each other and they learn how to make the products and they they participate in production. But really, we see it kind of as a nine-month like launching pad of learning, you know, what is it, how to have a job in the formal economy. And they have a workplace mentor and really equipping them kind of for the next season of life. And they earn an income and um, their income 
um, is also matched with a university scholarship so that they can continue on to college. And then here in the U.S., we um, actually sell all the products through a network of primarily female, although that's changing recently, um, social entrepreneurs called Seiko Fellows. And so these are folks that in their community, they share the story, they style their friends, and they earn an income and commission off of all of their sales. And so it's been really fun to kind of build this global community um, of folks here in the United States, in Uganda, in Ethiopia, in India. These are all countries that we work in now. And most recently, thanks to COVID-19, we've had a bit of a pivot and we actually just this past month launched a fairly traded small batch roasted high-end coffee company called Together Coffee. And so we're kind of wading into a new industry with a new product line, but it's been so fun to see the way in which it seems like a dramatic shift, but this thing that's actually just enabling us to stay on mission and continue supporting our team members, whether that's in Uganda on the production side or frankly, our sales force who really needs support right now too. And, um, and so it's been, it's been fun. So if, if the, if a leading through a pandemic wasn't overwhelming enough, just start a new company in your spare time to run alongside. Um, so it's been, it's been a really fun season. There are so many things that are interesting about what you just said that I have questions about. When you decided to do the coffee thing, was there, is there any correlation to like the business that you've built to what this new thing is, or is it, is it a totally unknown kind of territory? Yes. And <laughs> both and maybe. So on the one hand, it's sold under our current distribution channel. So Seiko fellows are selling it. It's sold on SeikoDesigns.com. So mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's, it's an additional offering it was really important to us that we created a brand around it because we also recognize like there might be folks that want to buy together coffee that aren't necessarily interested in our fashion primarily. And what's honestly really exciting to me is the more male demographic Mm -hmm. um, because we have men in our community who have been such supporters and love the work that we're doing. But let's just be very honest. Our our product offerings um, aren't necessarily something that they're super interested in, maybe outside of, you know, for gift giving season. And so on the one, it was really important for us to establish kind of a brand that was separate from our umbrella brand, but a lot of our the distribution is the same and the impact is is different. Right now we're in agriculture, which is kind of funny because I've long believed that agriculture and textile and apparel manufacturing, I believe deeply that those are the two areas where we get the most bang for our development buck. Hmm. Um, and the reason is those are the two industries where the most marginalized, vulnerable, low-skill people are typically employed. And so what that means is that's where a lot of the oppression and abuse is happening. It also means that the opportunity for life lift is so there and it is an area that is ready to be redeemed. So you'll know this if you read Beginner's Pluck, but before I started Seiko the Fashion Company, I started a chicken farm. Mm-hmm. And a very short time into starting a chicken farm, I was like, abort the mission. Like, I am not the lady cut out. I cannot give my life to farming chickens. This is not my cup of tea. Like, no, no chickens for me. And so I laugh that all of these years I've said, but if you if you have a heart for agriculture and impact, do it. Because that is like, there's so much room for impact there. And here I am 10 years later, dipping my toes into agriculture in a, in a totally different way. And so- you know, really our messaging for our company Seiko is like, hey, every time you buy a Seiko product, a handbag, a pair of sandals, clothes, 
there's two things that you're doing. One, you're creating a fair wage job for the artisan that made that product. They're being paid and treated fairly. Two, you're contributing directly to a scholarship for a female scholar to continue on to university. And in that way, Together Coffee has the exact same impact. You are, when you buy the coffee, you are contributing to making sure the farmer who picked those cherry beans and and made that coffee is actually being treated fairly mm. and they're paid a fair wage. And you're contributing to a scholarship for a female scholar in Uganda or Ethiopia. Yeah, that's so cool. Uh, when I think about starting this business and the amount of, you know, chicken farm failed attempts, <laughs> I could imagine that the failure rate or just like getting used to failure, maybe you'd never get used to failure. But one of the things you said in your book is that, you know, if you're not utterly humiliating yourself on a regular basis, you're probably not stretching yourself enough. I mean, how many times were you finding yourself in hum- these humiliating situations? Oh, It's literally just second nature, Todd. I mean, (laughs) and I say that and I do, you know, I think I'm, it doesn't ever stop hurting. Mm -hmm. I think that that's an unrealistic standard for people of just like fail enough and it'll get to a point where it doesn't hurt anymore. And here's what I will say. I don't ever want to be in a place where it doesn't hurt. And I actually just talked to our community about this last week. It was the topic of our weekly family meeting because I had a really big failure. It was actually not in my business. It was in another area of my life. I had someone comment, wait, you have other areas of your life? I thought that was really funny. And it was like, oh, I could, we were so close to this thing. We could taste it. We rallied, you know, our whole community around it. We got other people involved. We, you know, tried to cast a vision and got people excited and, and it ended up not working out. We failed. I mean, just like quite literally, you can spin anything and say, you know, it wasn't a failure. It was a this. It's like, let's yeah. just be fine with a saying learning. no. We wanted to do something and we failed. And I was so devastated. I was really bummed. I woke up the next day and just felt a general sense of malaise about it. And I think in our culture, in our leadership culture specifically, I think we can have this this narrative that's like, but a true leader, they're so used to failing. They just pop back up and they they don't, it didn't even hurt them. It didn't even knock them down because they mm-hmm. just fail, fail, fail. And it's so normalized. And I think maybe I've even contributed to that narrative of normalizing failure. And I had this moment last week where I was like feeling deep, hard feelings and being like, I could either say, stop feeling those feelings. You're a leader, get up and, you know, move on. And I don't think we can necessarily sit in those feelings Mm-hmm. But man, I, I was just like, but you know what? This is a sign of being really alive. And I don't want to be somebody that lives my whole life not feeling this way because it is an act of courage to let yourself dream and then do and then get so excited about it and work so hard towards it that if you are feeling in yourself the pain of a, a goal unmet or the grief of a lost vision, I think what I want to say to you is like, congratulations, like you're alive. This is what it means to be a human and to be a dreamer doer. And like, don't rob yourself of that. Like, and I kind of talk about this in the book that like, there's this concept um, and it's in the chapter called don't hide from the shadows that it's Mm -hmm. like the degree to which we can experience real joy and fulfillment is actually equal to the degree that we can experience loss and pain. So if you live your whole life trying to keep yourself from never being rejected, from never feeling embarrassed, from never feeling disappointed, you can do that. You like, 
you can, to a degree, insulate yourself from that. There yep. are, are, of course, things that we can't control. Our health, a, you know, a tragic death of a spouse, big societal things. But we can make micro decisions in our life that largely can insulate us from that. I, I say that in acknowledgement of depending on who you are and the privilege that you have depends how much you're able to right. do that, right? Insulate yourself from that. Some of us are not able to as much of, of others of us. But mm-hmm. to some degree, we can all make choices to keep ourselves safe from embarrassment and failure. And the reality is like when we allow ourselves to experience that, we also are building our capacity for satisfaction and for fulfillment and for those moments when it actually happens. And so that's what I think happens over the course of the life of a leader is that you don't stop feeling the pain of an unmet goal or failure, but I think you build the muscle memory to know that the sun is going to rise the next day. And you're more quickly able to feel the feeling, like lean into it. Oh, it would have been so good and juicy and beautiful. (laughs) Let yourself go there. But then also what we can do is stop the spiral of shame that can often follow, right? There's a difference between saying, I wanted that so bad and I worked so hard and I'm so bummed it's not gonna happen and stopping there and not allowing you to say, but nothing I do ever works and it comes so much easier to everybody else and everybody's gonna think I'm such an idiot and maybe that's because I am an idiot and maybe Mm -hmm. I should just give up and go home and I'm not smart enough and I'm not talented enough and I'm not well-connected enough and blah, 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 blah. And that's when we like start to spiral into this like self-pity shame pit or we start to point the finger at other people, right? Like they didn't get on board, they didn't do their jobs, they didn't get excited enough, I don't have enough support from these people. And either way, internal criticism or external criticism, it doesn't move us forward. So I fail a lot is is the really (laughs) long answer to that. And I feel it when I fail, but I also, I get back up to date every single time I've gotten back up. (laughs) I think for our audience, one of the things that we're characterized by is liking to, we want to be in control. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many things are outside of our control, but we're trying to Control the situation so that an event or a service happens flawlessly. And if I let go of that control or just sort of, you know, like open my hands up and the control could leave my hands or not, that's scary. And I think I would say this is just for me, so much of my identity can be wrapped up in how well is this going to go. And if I'm, it's not in my control, now I'm putting my identity kind of out there for people to, to squish or... Or just for it to not go well and then to yep. feel like I'm less than yep. I actually am. Yeah. And I think in your industry, it is really interesting being being someone who is on the other side of your industry, that it's like your team, your people are like such an integral support to mm-hmm. my work and my ability to do my work well. I think it is important to distinguish between stupid mistakes that yeah. we can't let happen again and bummer mistakes that were part of the necessary, like, but now we know, you know? So like I, in any business and in any industry, getting really clear on what those are, because there are, there are times where you will make a mistake. And if you're being honest about it, it's like, we shouldn't have made that mistake. Like we've done it before. We should have learned from it. There's a, there's a checks and balances process that we didn't engage in. Like it was just a stupid mistake and it can't happen again. Versus like, you know what? We took a risk. And we knew it was a risk and we went in and we didn't know how it was going to go. And we tried to cover all of our bases. But frankly, there are times when you make mistakes and I have an almost four-year-old son and he started saying (laughs) this and it kills me. It's so great. 
because what we say in our house a lot is like, didn't see that coming. <laughs> you know, like there, if you are, if you are evolving and if you're taking risks, there will be things that you, at the end of it, you look back and go, we just couldn't have seen that coming. And we right. have to give ourselves grace and to know the difference between when we hold ourselves accountable and when we give ourselves grace and say, okay, we're going to do different next time, but we're not going to beat ourselves up over this mistake because right. it was a good, it was a, there are good mistakes. There are good mistakes and bad mistakes. Right. One of my things that I love about, uh, maybe I don't love mistakes, but the thing that I'm always looking for in mistakes is what can we learn from them? Like yeah. we should not have made that mistake or, oh, we didn't see you know, we're trying something new and didn't see that coming. So how are we going to do it differently next time? And I think even building a business or doing a service or whatever, the ability to uh, look at something and say, okay, um, I even love the, uh, somewhere in your book, you talk about like asking a question versus making a de mm -hmm. declarative statement. I, the thing about that in what we're talking about is like, hey, we're going to do our best. And yeah, there's some pressure there, but it's not going to be the end of the world if it doesn't go. I'm just going to, okay, what, what can I do better next time? I love that. Yep. I think if we can get, and I'm preaching to the no, not preaching to the choir. What's the, what would be the opposite of that? Preaching to myself because yeah. I need to hear it. Um, you could be in yeah, the choir. If, 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 yeah, there you go. <laughs> if, if our instinct after a mistake can be to ask a question instead of to say a statement, I just think that puts us in such a better posture for like curiosity and learning and mm -hmm. empathy, frankly, of like, okay, before I jump down your throat about why you shouldn't have done that, can you help me understand why you made that decision? Because a mm -hmm. lot of times that can be really illuminating and that actually gives more insight into what to do different next time than if you would have just said, we don't do things that way. This is how it was supposed to be done and you didn't do it. That can all that can oftentimes leave the people that you lead actually feeling just kind of scared and disempowered of like, okay, don't do that specific thing. But if we as leaders can ask that question of like, help me understand your thought process. Because if we can dive in, to where things went off in the thought process, that might be more fruitful. Also, you might be trying to solve an interesting problem that I didn't see coming. And it came off as a mistake and it maybe didn't work this time, but there actually might be a nugget of gold in what you were thinking about trying to accomplish that would be really good for us to explore and maybe just execute in a different way that might make it more successful. Right. I think too, in our group of people, a lot of times we're trying to solve problems that no one else cares about. And so mm. part of that is important because we're the ones seeing them. Nobody else is. So we're trying to solve all these problems. But a lot of times we're keeping that information to ourselves. And so we're not mm. saying, hey, I'm trying to solve this problem. Because sometimes in my experience, the thing I'm beating my head against, uh, the leader would say, oh, yeah, pff, that doesn't matter. Uh, but I'm spending all this energy trying to make that right. Yeah. And uh, you're not getting any collaboration. Or if it, you might have somebody in your community that already solved it. And that if you were like, hey, just heads up, this is what I'm working on. You might have someone that goes like, oh, yeah, I figured that out last week, <laughs> you know. Right, right, and right. And sharing. That is, this is one of, I really deeply struggle with this in leadership. I have a tendency in times of um, stress and crisis, I become a lone ranger. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, nope, it has to happen fast. And I have to get it done. And it feels, and I don't have time to communicate about this. And that really is something that I'm trying to work on in my leadership journey is pausing because it does take more work to communicate and to bring other people in. Um, but it's something that I, I am in process of, of working on as a leader as well. Yeah. And I think too, just the idea, something like, uh, what you're doing in Uganda, it's like, you're not just 
telling people like do this, but you're helping them understand how to live a productive life, a work life. You're you're giving a lot of whys, not so much do this and that and then this and that, but this is what we're doing. Okay, now let's go do it. Yeah, yeah. And really Seiko was born out of a question. It was like going to an established community that had a history of creating opportunity for women in their community and saying, what's, what isn't working here? There's so much that is working. What's a challenge you're experiencing? And what, what do you think is the best way for us to solve that? And in the very earliest days of Seiko, like, again, I started by starting a charity and really it was going to the community and saying like, okay, here's my idea, but like, does this work? Does this actually fix the problem? And was lucky enough to be around honest, smart friends who were like, um, no, that's actually because it doesn't answer this thing and it doesn't really do this over here. And so then it was like, okay, version two, like come back with a chicken farm. And then that with the chicken farm, honestly, that was more my thing that it was like, okay, this might check those boxes, but I can't do this. Like, I don't (laughs) think I can be passionate about chickens for the next 50 years. And so then version three kind of felt like, okay, this is what you're asking. You are asking me to be a part of creating a solution that keeps the girls together in community and kind of spurring one another on. And two, teaches them a skill, but more importantly, helps them generate an income and and Mm. earn it for themselves. Okay. So there we go that the the what chicken or sandals that the community frankly didn't really care about that I, but i did it was important to me that it was like okay I, you know coming up with these strappy sandals and manufacturing and like this is this is fun this tinkering feels like ooh th- this is an interesting problem for me and so kind of finding that like balance between making sure that you're rooted in asking questions but then also that you as a leader are like you have to be passionate about what you're doing and the what actually does really matter in the, in the equation. We're going to take a short break from our conversation with Liz and tell you a little bit about one of our sponsors, Sardis Events. I get to do a quite a bit of freelance work and Sardis is one of my favorite groups to work with. They not only know their stuff and produce events with excellence, they're some of my favorite people around, period. One of my values as a technical artist is to work really hard at whatever task is in front of me, but also to have fun along the way. And this value is totally lived out by the crew at Sardis. One of my assigned tasks, this is in quotes, when we work together is to create the worst PowerPoint presentation I can conceive of. You know, stuff like papyrus fonts, four or three aspect ratios, or maybe even worse, some goofy transitions, some sound effects, all to outline ways of getting to the airport from whatever hotel our event is in. And this is just like one small example of my memories of working with Sardis. Anyway, they've been producing live events for 30 years, which doesn't happen if you aren't great to work with. And they're consistently at the front of the curve when it comes to what's new in audio, video, and lighting gear. And really the unique thing about Sardis is that most of their top designers, technicians, and producers have a background of working in the local church. So they understand kind of the challenges that we face as technical artists. Uh, They really do get us. Combine that with their top-tier ultra-creative programs that they produce for a variety of Fortune 50 corporations, and you've got a valuable partner that can help guide you through your toughest challenges. If you have questions about gear, buying gear, renting gear, or you just want to bounce some ideas off of someone, chances are that Sardis has used it, owned it, or seen it in action, and so they have firsthand knowledge about what works and what doesn't. 
So with the help of the people at Sardis, uh, you can make equipment recommendations to your church with confidence. They will help take the stress out of life. They'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you over coffee, but you know, since it's hard to drink coffee with a mask on in person, they'd love to do the next best thing, which is send you a free Sardis mug filled with surprise bonus materials. If you don't like coffee, just pretend you do, and they'll send you the free mug anyway. You can call Sardis at 847-231-5915, or you can shoot them an email at hello at Sardis events. That's S-A-R-D-I-S events.com. And you can ask for my man, Nate, and you can start a conversation. Let's get back to our time with Liz. Somewhere in your book, you talk about, you know, if you don't like the day-to-day, then, you know, you need to get out. But somewhere in there, too, you're talking about having the problem is the important thing. The solution is is secondary. Um, yeah. That, yeah. The problem can remain the same. The solution is probably the thing that is changing all the time. Yeah. And I think in the production world, a lot of times we we latch on to the solution and yeah, we're solving some other problem or the problem we were solving doesn't exist anymore, but we're hanging on to the solution that maybe doesn't work anymore. Absolutely. I'm so thrilled to hear that that is so relevant in your specific industry. I really do think it's cross industry. We all do it in our own ways. We get so attached to our solutions. We get so fixated on them. They become these, what do people call them? Like golden cows or things that we have to protect. Sure. And and especially now more than ever. I mean, like we live in a fundamentally different world than we did three months ago. So if you are still solving the problems that you were solving three months ago, I would seriously ask for you to pause and critically look at that. And there, for some people, it might be like, nope, I'm still, this is still the most relevant, interesting problem. But for a lot of us, our problems have changed significantly and we need to be on the lookout and really open to what the most relevant, important problems are and to have a little bit less attachment to those precious solutions of ours. Yeah, I mean, I can't uh, remember a time and I'm sure nobody can really when we've had this big of a shift in our culture, our daily lives. Uh, yeah. What my life looks like, what your life looks like. So, I mean, I have a thing where, you know, you can solve, you can solve for problems that, you know, like from history and the way you've noticed things in the past and you can adjust your process or whatever to, to head off those problems at the past. But it, really there's about maybe 15 or 20% that we can't know about, you know, that just there are problems that come up out of nowhere. And then you have to solve them in the moment. Honestly, for me, that's normal life. But this feels like, okay, 90% of this is unforeseen. And uh, maybe there's 10% or less that I, that I still know about. Yeah, this has definitely been a challenge for sure. It is. And it's also in the difference, like what will mark this time is I think it is a challenge for all of us, but then some of us will see opportunity in the challenge. You know, and for us, like we mentioned launching Together Coffee, which is an entirely new product line. And it came out of, there's a new problem. And even with our products, like with every single product that we make, fashion products, we're asking the question of what problem is this solving for her? And, you know, our entire social media calendar from March 15th to April 15th was all focused on 
travel, wanderlust, like what are you going to wear on spring break, the perfect travel bag that, you know, is converts into five different ways because that was the problem that we were solving is that she's going to go on vacation and she's going to have a toddler on her hip and she wants to look chic and put together, but she also needs to have, you know, versatility and function. That was a problem that we were solving. Well, guess what? That wasn't the problem that anybody was facing in late March. And so, and it's really scary to let go because for us, it would be easy to say, well, if that's not a problem anymore, we're out of business. Then we don't, we don't have anything to offer and we're irrelevant and that's really scary and we don't want to deal with that. So instead, we're just going to bury our head in the sand and say, we're just going to keep talking about that problem and hopefully somebody <laughs> out there is experiencing that problem or we'll wait until they do have that problem again. And instead, what we did is we just did an exercise in empathy and just said, give yourselves the opportunity to just focus on the problem without following it up with, but what could we do about that? Right. And that is where literally the first thing we were like, our exercise, we were like, okay, let's just pick. And, and we do this a lot. We, we just like have a person that we talk about. So instead of saying, what are the issues that our customers are facing? We have like a few customer profiles mm-hmm. and we talk about her. We're like, what is the challenge that Kim is facing on March 20th of 2020? And like, let's really get into her life. And like, and for us, we were like, okay, so step one, she wakes up and she wakes up and she's waking up an hour earlier because, um, than she normally does because she's homeschooling her kids and they're home and she still has a full-time job. And like, it's just literally 14 hours of nonstop chaos. And she knows that she's not going to get a break through her entire day. And so she's waking up an hour earlier, even though she's going to bed late. So she can have this, you know, a few moments of like brain space and time to herself. And, you know, and so then she's walking down into her kitchen and literally that's as far as we got was like her, the first 30 minutes of her day, once we actually empathized, the solution that we ended up coming up with was the problem that she's facing within moments of waking up. It was just like clear to us that it's like Mm. she needs something that feels like it feels grounding. It feels inspiring. It feels like it's taking the place of something else that maybe she would have treated herself to a fancy latte on her way to work. Well, that's not happening anymore. She has this like kind of sacred alone time in the morning and she wants to be a part of something that's bigger than herself. All of these things and literally the solution of a small batch roasted, fairly traded, beautiful coffee company came out of that problem of like, how do we serve her in that moment before everybody else in the house wakes up? And, And so creating the space to just say, just dream about the problem before yeah. coming in saying, but how are we going to solve it? Right. Because, well, how do we solve that problem with a high-end leather bag? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is something you talk about in your book. Uh, there's a chapter on that about the wow. I wrote down, wow comes before how. So like, yeah. let's just dream big and not worry about how we're going to do it. Which, you know, frankly, is something that that I struggle with as a, as a production person that our community does. Like, you give me an idea, I want to solve it or tell you that it's never going to work right away so that we can move <laughs> yeah. on to the next thing instead right. of realizing that there is a space for just like, let's dream and see where this leads. And I mean, I know for me, I've been kicked out of so many brainstorming meetings because I was the person just like <laughs> hammering every idea as it came out. And uh, I, yeah, I finally had to learn, just relax. Most of these things will never happen, but maybe we'll... <laughs> You know, just because ideas, you know, just it turns into something totally different. And 
But it's such a useful thing. And for each of us to know, yeah, and for you to know, like, your time to shine. Like, God made you that way. He made you with a brain that is wired for operations, for processes, for, you know, probability. And in organization, that is is an absolutely indispensable tool in an organization. And so for you to then be able to fully know that and believe that frees you up to in the one hour long conversation, actually just let people dream and to yes and their dreams, knowing that it's like, we're not gonna sit around and just dream for the rest of our lives. Like there will come a time where my giftedness is needed in order mm-hmm. to take that dream and make it into a reality. But I I add value here right now is just not necessarily the time for that value. So I can <laughs> relax, have a little fun, support the people in my organization that are gifted with ideas and with dreaming and with vision. Because I think oftentimes that is such a critical role to have somebody that isn't a natural dreamer support you. My husband and I have a little bit of this tension where we co-founded the company together and he really is a visionary in his own right, but he is much more operations minded than Mm -hmm. me. And so, man, when he creates the space for just like, I don't have it all figured out and it's kind of nebulous right now. And like, but here's an idea. And when he is in a place where he can put aside, we already tried that. What about this? How much is it going to (laughs) cost? And just give me the space to say like, that is a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. It's such a gift that you can give to folks in your organization who are who, who lean more towards that. And then I think likewise, those of us who lean a little bit more towards the wow, respecting and celebrating the people that that create the how behind it is equally as necessary. And if we can just all be singing one another's praises and being like, I don't get to wow without your how. You don't have anything to how without my wow. <laughs> like, And create that sense of like, we are all a really necessary part of this vision and this team and to celebrate that and to know when it's time to come in with your giftedness yeah. and when it's time to pull back a little bit. That's really critical. Yeah. I think too, the thing that took me a long time to learn, but the thing I love about once the idea is sort of, okay, I think this is now the thing we're going to do to then step in and say, okay, how can we, with our budget, with the time, okay, these are constraints that none of, like, I'm not putting them on us, but they they exist. And so how can we apply this idea to those things and come up with a better idea yeah. together? Yeah. Um, I think for me, I would a lot of times think I'm just crushing the dream of this mm. person who mm-hmm. has this great idea. But the reality is that I would say almost every idea that we kind of entered into with that idea of, okay, these are constraints and we we have to, okay, what's the most important thing and start eliminating the unnecessary, then you come up with generally a better, much better yeah. idea. Yeah, absolutely. That can be executed, that uh, you have the competency and the capability for. But yeah, I think it's in the... It's in the acknowledgement of the core of that wow idea is really good. We may not be able to execute it on the with the how that you're thinking, but what I'm seeing and I'm acknowledging is that the the, the spirit of that idea is ultimately like what we what we want to get to. And there might be multiple different avenues, but a lot of times the purpose of a wow session is to get to that. It's not to figure out the how. So I'll give you an example of like with my team. Well, we used to do an in-person <laughs> national summit. 
But we were having this wow session about our summit and and we just go nuts when we do this. We just start out with the most ridiculous things. And we start out with, if I had a magic wand is what you have to say, because it kind of eliminates the like desire to figure it out right now. So you're like, okay, if I had a magic wand and all kinds of stuff started coming out, right? Like if I had a magic wand, every single fellow, that's what we call our sellers, mm-hmm. you know, every single fellow would come out of the elevator into our venue space and they would be greeted by Beyonce with a glass of champagne <laughs> and Beyonce would know their name and their where they come from and the name of all of their kids. And, you know, just this like totally outrageous idea of, you know, Beyonce being involved. And, and you, you just let yourself go with that. And then what you get to do is you start to peel back the layers. Okay. Okay. Obviously Beyonce is not in our budget, but like, what did, what did Beyonce reckon? What did she represent? Well, what she represented was like somebody that you look up to and that you value knowing who you are and what you individually contribute to the organization. And like, that's the powerful seed. It, it's not Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> it It's that it's that someone feels seen and acknowledged. And like, we may not be able to do every single person and champagne on the spot, you know, like, well, the elevator can, you know, <laughs> all of the like details of that. But then all of a sudden that is the spirit that guides the conversation. It's like, okay, what can we do to make sure that every single person that comes to this event has a single moment or interaction where they go, wow, I'm really seen here and I'm really valued and I, I have a seat at the table. And, and then out of that, of course, you can execute on that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that you say in the book that is one of my absolute favorites is the idea of curiosity over criticism. I think our community is real quick to criticize if something's not working or somebody's late with something or, you know, just all the things that get in the way of us executing a perfect program. It's real easy to be critical. And so I just love the idea of asking questions, uh, being curious about why is it this way or what could I do about this or what's my part in this not working? You know, just there's so much great stuff there. Mm, Yeah, and I think the good thing there for your community, I mean, for all of us, but it seems like specifically for your community is like being curious in those moments. It's not like a fluffy thing. I'm not asking you to stop and be like, how is your dog doing? You know, like, (laughs) not that there isn't a time and place for that, but like, it's not like a fluffy forced, oh, we got to do this like soft people skill thing before I actually solve the problem. It will literally lead you to a more effective, better solution, a better organization, better use of technology, more in tune with the relevant problems that need to be solved. Like it's not an optional fluffy people thing. It's if you want to create the best program, the best team, the best like, you know, technology, you you better be really curious. Um, those two things aren't at odds. They're not mutually exclusive. They actually like really go together. Hmm. Yeah, I think uh, when I look at kind of, there was a moment in my own life where I kind of tipped over into the, you know, from criticism to curiosity. Mm. And it it's amazing to me how it changed everything. I mean, uh, you're joking about, you know, how is your dog doing? Uh, while it is uh, maybe a ridiculous question at this moment, we have a, a guy in our community says, if you don't know the names of the guitar player's kids, you should not 
be able to ask them to turn their amp down. Mm. Like you need to, there needs to be kind of this curiosity with each other. Like who are you and why are you here and what are you motivated by and what's your favorite coffee? Because maybe I'll bring it sometime. And I would, I guess I would say we have so many hard skills in this industry, like things that we know how to do. And the soft skills are the things that, that we really wrestle with. And this idea of being curious about others, about how yeah. we got to this idea, yeah. you know, are all so people oriented. And the best stuff that we do comes from relationship and collaboration. Yeah. And that doesn't happen if you're just criticizing all the time. Yep. Absolutely. I love that. I love that thought and that general rule of like, we will all produce our best work when we're coming to a team where we feel known and valued and heard beyond the product that we offer or our end result. It helps us feel more confident. It helps us be more shame resilient. Mm. And that helps us um, be more creative. It helps with our grit and capacity. Like all of those things are very real outcomes of building a team and a culture where folks know like I matter and I matter beyond just my productivity, but um, I matter as a human. Yeah. And I think in our group of church production people, like our teams aren't so big that I can't do anything with the culture. But I think if one person changes, then another person, you know, it's not like we have thousands of people we're trying to turn, but it's just our little group of people to go from critiquing all the time to be more curious, I I think is would be so beneficial for all of us. So anyway, thanks so much for joining us. This has been fun. Thank you. And uh, yeah, uh, we'll look forward to the next time we actually meet in person. Third time's a charm. We're going to do it. (laughs) Third time is a charm. Really grateful for you and for your leadership and pivoting and evolving during this time. And yeah, just for your community, realizing Mm -hmm. that this is this is a wild, a wild time. And there's probably a lot of um, insecurity or unknown about what career and life and craft looks like. Um, and yeah, just want to encourage you that um, you were made for a time such as this and to stay curious and open to, um, to the possibilities. And thank you so much for inviting me into your space. One of my favorite things about Liz, our conversation and her book is just the idea of failure being part of life. And we need to figure out ways to fail while trying uh, to stop being afraid and, uh, you know, that we won't succeed. I thought she made a good distinction, too, between kind of stupid mistakes that we can prevent versus mistakes that happen because we're taking calculated risks and seeing what happens. Uh, I also love the concept of the amount that you block yourself off from getting hurt by people or possible failure. You know, the bad stuff is the amount that you also block out the possibility of some of the best connections, the best successes, basically the joys of life. I know that I struggle with wanting things to be within my control always, but that usually leaves me frustrated. And so, yeah, I just like that concept of as much as you build a wall, that's blocking you off from the good stuff also. If you haven't listened to Liz's talk from the Philo Conference, it's definitely worth a listen. Uh, You can head to our resource page, philo.org, to download that. I would also recommend her book, Beginner's Pluck. It's super easy to read with 14 great principles for life. Uh, I listened to the audiobook, which she reads, and uh, I loved it. All right, speaking of books, if you're looking for a great resource for your teams, something for them to go through like before your fall launch for your ministry season, our newest resource at Philo is the book that I wrote over... I don't know, it seems like 20 years it took me. 
I love Jesus, but I hate Christmas. It's available on Amazon. You can just go to Amazon and search for that, or you go to our website, and we have just a link that goes directly to the Amazon page. It's broken down into easy-to-digest chapters, and each one of them has discussion questions at the end that you can do yourself or do with a small group or with your whole team. It's really designed to help get everybody on your team on the same page about what matters when it comes to the technical arts at your church. So you can uh, go to our website, philo.org slash book, and you will find a link there. Anyway, you can follow us on social media. We're at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. We're really grateful to have a space in the podcast world to talk specifically about the church technical arts and technical artists and things that pertain to us. And yeah, I'm super grateful that you've chosen to join us. If you want to continue the fun and spread the word, we need your help. So ratings and reviews really are crucial to the life of a podcast. So we'd be grateful if you took a moment to get involved and help us out. So go to iTunes or Spotify and just give us a review. You can always see what's happening on philo.org. Or if you have any questions or suggestions for our podcast, for the Philo Conference, whatever, you could send us an email at philopodcast at philo.org. All right. See you next time.